This Week in Startups, The Next Unicorns is brought to you by Embroker. The Embroker Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important lines of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Get an instant quote and $5,000 of AWS credit at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get 10% off by using offer code TWIST10. NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get NetSuite's free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, when you go to netsuite.com slash twist. And LinkedIn. You need LinkedIn jobs to find the right people for your business. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash unicorn and get $50 off your first job post. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. And on today's show, we have a founder who's decided to do two or three of the most difficult things you can do, and he succeeded in becoming one of the fastest growing companies here in Silicon Valley. And he might someday become a unicorn. This is our The Next Unicorn series, or as we call them internally in the business, Sunicorns. What's a unicorn? A unicorn is a company that comes with a billion dollars. Why is that important? I don't know. It just means that the company's gotten big. It's got some level of scale, which means it's making some huge impact in the world. But for some reason, that's become a thing here in Silicon Valley. So we thought we'd challenge ourselves to find the next unicorns, the next group that, like Uber, Airbnb, and Slack, might change the world, might reach some massive amount of scale. And you may or may not have heard of our next uh, uh, founder's company, Grove Collective, uh, is doing something very interesting. Uh, They're selling all natural products that are safe for your family. Uh, And the founder, Stuart uh, Landisberg, I got it right this time? You did indeed. Landisberg is here. Welcome to the program. Great great to be here, Jason. Thank you. Um, And I was talking about the most difficult things you can do in business. Seems to me groceries or just consumables is really hard. Going up against Amazon is really hard. And then to add to the level of difficulty, you're a B corporation, a new type of corporation here in Silicon Valley or just in the country called the Benefit Corporation. These are all really hard tasks, but uh, it seems like you're navigating well. Uh, Tell us, what is the company? Why did you start it? And why a B Corp? And explain to the uh, listeners what a B Corp is. Sure. So Grove's mission is to help every family create a home that reflects the best of themselves. And we focus, as you mentioned, on the home and personal care categories. So everyday household products like hand soap, dish soap, laundry detergent, paper towels, categories that have a really big impact on the environment and often products that a lot of families, you know, homemaking is very close to their heart. And so the products that we use around our homes really are a reflection to a certain extent of the homes that we're creating. And so we started Grove with the belief that people want to be the best version of themselves, want to show up as the best mom, the best dad, the best homemaker. And we wanted to make it really easy for folks to find products that are healthy for their families and good for the environment. And you know, I will, I, I'm sure you will push me on the Amazon and all the other follow-up questions over time. But fundamentally, uh, we operate an e-commerce platform with a curated selection of the best natural third-party brands and a number, and have developed a number of natural brands ourselves. Hmm. Um, the business is split about 50% third-party brands and 50% our own brands. Uh, and we send those out to families uh, across the country on a schedule that makes sense for them. Um, and I know about this, uh, these brands, because you know, just looking at your website, you have those, is it Mayers? That, Mrs. Myers, yeah. Mrs. Myers. I, we have that all over our house. I recognize it. This is non-toxic. This is... Just all natural. I don't have to worry about carcinogens, et cetera. Yeah. So there's a fundamental sort of line in the, uh, you know, backing up a step. If you, yeah. if you feel, you know, allow me 90 seconds yeah. on the history sure. of CPG. If you think consumer about consumer packaged goods. Yes. yes. Thank you. Uh, the history of consumer packaged goods. If you think about your laundry room where you grew up, right? Yeah. The color of the laundry bottle in there red, tied. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You and most Americans Downy. Would say that. Exactly. That brand and so many brands that are truly iconic have been built over 150 years based on what drives the most profit in a grocery model, right? Why is that bottle big and orange? Hmm. It's not because your laundry room had an aesthetic that was bright orange or whoever was doing the laundry wanted something heavy, right? It was because of shelf presence. And there's this really amazing moment as a category like laundry detergent moves from offline to online where 
we can say to ourselves, okay, you know, laundry detergent, most of it, 90% water. Do we need to be shipping all of that water? And laundry detergent historically has had a lot of synthetics and petroleum-based ingredients that aren't necessarily the best thing for families or for the environment. And we've gotten to a place where natural chemistry, you can, you can create a largely plant-based formula that is effectively you know, as, works as well, doesn't cost any more. And you know, our belief is you can do it in a way that is a better experience for the consumer and simultaneously something that has a lighter environmental footprint. But it really only works because your, it, the, the laundry detergent that was in your laundry room as a kid, that yeah. was purchased at the grocery store. Yeah. That's not going to be true in 20 years. The idea that you would be fighting for shelf space and trying to trick people into buying it or manipulate them into buying it with techniques. Consumers at some point became savvy and they wanted convenience and they wanted things to be healthy. What Was there a moment in time? I mean, I remember in the 70s, my mom would go to the natural food store. Yeah. And the natural food store was not as much about what they carried, about what they didn't carry. So, you know, they just didn't have breakfast cereals that had, you know, uh, corn syrup. And I think Whole Foods kind of fell into that. Is a lot of what you're doing just what you don't sell? And how did this movement really get this big? And what percentage of customers are actually buying this way today? It's a great question. So 70% of the U.S. will self-identify as preferring conscientious products. If you look across the categories that we play in, you know, the natural brands have one percent market share, maybe in okay, most. Okay, so of these people categories. are saying one thing because it makes them feel good, and doing another, right? And part of it that makes is economic sense, and, exactly. And part of that is habit. Got it. But you know, fundamentally, the natural product store has given conscientious product kind of a bad name, right? The natural mm -hmm. product store is more expensive. It's crunchy. It's not Hippies. mainstream. Exactly. For us, you know, people assume when we sell, I say we sell natural products on the internet, they assume that our consumer is New York, LA, San Francisco, Boston, Chicago. In practice, we do just as well in Kansas as we do in California. Mm. Our best zip codes are in Utah, Texas, and Tennessee. Fascinating. Absolutely. Is that because they don't have access to these products readily in their own supermarkets? A big part of it is access, and a big part of it is just people wanting to make a great decision for their homes and mm. you know the idea of being a good homemaker is is universally true. People care about their families, you know, everywhere. Yeah. And so for us, you know, as we've grown Grove, we've been able to scale quickly because it's really not a phenomenon isolated to one group. And half our consumers are discovering natural products for the first time with Grove. Mm. So while Mrs. Myers may be all over your house, you would be the anomaly yeah. for a Grove customer. Interesting. And so was there some moment in time that this all tipped over or has this been like a slow burn? Was there some scare or something that made people drive to this or has it been like some slow burn where, you know, some number of consumers just became more conscious of it? Jason, I love that you said it has tipped over as though it has tipped. Well, it feels like it has because I just see so many brands now coming out and saying, hey, we, we, we don't have these chemicals. Hey, we. this is how yeah. it will impact the ocean. It seems like, you know, it has reached a tipping point. And people, 70% of people saying they want to buy conscientious brands shows the consumer wants to. For sure. Yeah. So but, that seems like a tipping point. Yeah. I think there's no question, you know, manifest destiny is products that are better for human and environmental health, mm -hmm. right? There's just a long transition from what people have been buying their whole lives mm to what they're going to be buying that that aligns with the, I think, better educated value system that we have today. I will say over the last 10 years, natural chemistry has come a long way in making sure that if you use the Grove laundry detergent, the stains come out of your shirt. Right. right? And I will say one of the pieces of magic is when we bring our, we brought a laundry product to market earlier this year, it is a reusable glass dispenser, which is beautiful. I mean, you can, can't imagine selling Tide in a glass bottle. Yeah. And then the refills are ultra concentrated. So what would be uh, 100 ounces is actually 20 ounces from us. And then I put my the other 80 ounces in water. Uh, the, oh, the washing machine, machine puts a ton it, of water. They have water right? in it already. So the, the dispenser doses out two-thirds of an ounce per load, which is all you need. 
and it works exceptionally well. It's a ton less water. It's cheaper for the consumer because all you're buying is the refill, and it uses about 70% less plastic even than the con- than the most progressive conventional detergents. So you see, that's the thing that making me that's making me crazy right now is packaging. Yeah, I'm going on a jihad against this goddamn packaging. It's making me mental with the pods. Yeah, you know these pods for coffee. I was staying somewhere and they had the pods were wrapped in plastic and in a paper box. And I'm like, really? So we've wrapped the coffee in a pod, which is aluminum and plastic. Then we wrap that in a foil wrapper and we wrap that in a box. I mean, how precious is my goddamn coffee? It's incredible. Uh, 40%, I believe, of the plastic waste in the world comes from packaging, which is insane. And the, but this is what. Wait, wait, tell me that's that one more time. 40% of the packaging waste, excuse me, plastic waste in the world comes from packaging. God damn it. It's making me crazy. Pods against podcasters against pods. I just want to say that right now. I am a podcaster against those goddamn pods. I love that. Yeah. But, but that, there's reason to be optimistic because if you think about the move from offline to online and what's happening is you can, when we launched that laundry detergent, if we put it up on the shelf in a grocery store next to the giant thing of Tide, you lose. You lose, right? But we're selling it online and it's the same number of pixels and you can educate the consumer. And so you can move folks from these products that were massive, had extra packaging for all the extra water into concentrated formats. And in 2019, the Grove community will have saved a million pounds of plastic. See, I'm in it for that. Just from changes from conventional to concentrated You know what, though? Formats. I love that Clorox, and I love my Fantastic. Those things make things so clean. I got those Clorox wipes, and my wife swapped them out for some natural wipes. Is there something wrong with Clorox? Am I crazy like for using this bleach stuff and Fantastic, or is it is it terrible for me? Is it going to kill me? It's a hard question for me to answer in the absolute. I, I would say that there is very little downside. This is what's making natural products tip, right? There is no downside to a product that is plant-based, mm. works well, and is the same price. And in many cases, because the natural brands are mm. more innovative. I just like that smell, man. I exactly. love that Clorox smell with the bleach and the fantastic. It just smells clean to me. A lot of people feel that way, but yeah. I, I would say, look, half our consumers are trying natural for the first time, and there's a reason they stay. Yeah. Because you know the essential oils that we can put in our products, yeah. I mean, I'm getting deep into the supply chain, are higher quality than anything you're getting from a how, conventional How brand. do you know the supply chain is providing you with stuff that's legit? Because I know there's been instances where the supply chain is maybe you know, uh, not exactly legit. I am glad that you know that, that there are instances the supply chain is not legit. Supply chain integrity is... We just, as a society, need to pay so much more attention to what kind of diligence companies are doing across the supply chain. And for us, as a certified B Corp, we have to go through every one of our suppliers. Huh. And we have you know, about 100 different suppliers. We do factory audits. We send people to everywhere we go. We do factory audits before we start working with people. We do them as we work with them, and we put improvement plans in place to make sure that even if a manufacturing facility is good today. It's getting better tomorrow. and so That's a lot of extra overhead, but you take the time to do it. It's part of your mission. It's part of the mission. It's part of the DNA of the company. All right. When we get back from this quick break, uh, we skipped over the B Corp. So I want to understand, I want the audience to understand what a B Corp is and how you get investors because you've raised a lot of money now and you got real investors. How did you get investors past, oh, B Corp signals, maybe crunchy granola, not serious about profits yeah. and revenue. Maybe you're not a marauding capitalist. Why would we give you money if you're not going to be a marauding capitalist? When we get back on this weekend's show. I want to tell you right now about the importance of insurance for your business. It's never too soon. When you have a startup, you need to have insurance. And I know what you're saying. God, you got to deal with those brokers. God, they're a pain in the neck and they're annoying and the process takes forever. No longer. You can use Imbroker, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R, Imbroker. And they will do all of this quickly and easily for you. And the Imbroker startup program is essentially free business insurance because it comes with $5,000 in AWS credits. That's right. They will give you $5,000 in AWS credits if you do the right thing and get your insurance all set up. You can get things like DNO, that's directors and officers. 
directors, your board of directors, people on your board, officers, the top five or six people in the company who could go to jail or get sued if you do stupid things or if you make a mistake or if you do everything right and some litigious person decides to sue you anyway. You have that DNO, you're covered, and you need to get DNO, and you also need E and O. What's E and O? Errors and omissions. You make an error, you made an omission, and all of a sudden, you get sued. And you know what? Sometimes you can't close a big deal or get a big-time board member if you don't have these insurance policies in place. So you can instantly buy custom-built insurance for your startup right now and get $5,000 in AWS credits for free, even if you're already an AWS client. And you can do that by going to imbroker.com slash twist, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist. And while you're there, get 10% off using the promo code twist10, T-W-I-S-T-1-0. This product is so elegant and so fast at getting you your insurance. I can't give it anything more than my five-star J-Cal review. Go to imbroker.com, embroker.com slash twist. Great product, great team. All right, let's get back to this great episode. All right, Stuart Landisberg is on the program. You go by Stu? Either one's fine. Okay, Stu. I'll go with Stu. I like that. Uh, and um, Grove Collective, uh, Collaborative, sorry. I, was just, I kept saying Groove Collective, which is a band that we just learned won some Grammys for jazz. But your Grove Collective, is it Grove, Grove Collective? Grove Collaborative. Colla- Grove Collaborative.com. Grove Collaborative, Grove.co. Grove.co. You got the CO. That's great. Um, let's talk about the... Um, entire B Corp thing. Yeah. I see a lot of millennials. They want to do a lot of great things in the world. You look like a millennial to me. Um, they want to do meaningful work. And you chose to be a B Corp. I had an investment in a B Corp, a company called Hand Up, that was making software to help homeless organizations raise money for homeless people. It didn't work out. And a large part of why it didn't work out was the B Corp, I think, wound up putting them in a bucket of unfundable or less fundable. So they raised money and got lots of grants, but they didn't get customers and they didn't get a venture community to really take them seriously, I'm sad to say. You chose the B Corp. Explain to us what the B Corp is and why you chose that. Sure. So what a certified B Corp is, is, is it is a company that has that prioritizes social, environmental, and community objectives as well as profit. And you go through a very rigorous assessment to validate that you sort of are who you say you are that goes from how equity is distributed among employees to how you give back to the community to what the environmental footprint is, both Mm -hmm. of the product you sell and of the supply chain and facilities that you operate. So- It's a benefit corporation for the benefit of not just the shareholders. That's right. But also the stakeholders, which would be employees. Community. Community, customers, the environment. So in choosing to do this, you add a bunch of process and cost. But what do you gain? So I'm going to push back that you add a bunch of process and cost that isn't good for the business. You know, by brushing my teeth every day, I add process and cost to my day, but it still is worthwhile. Yeah. And we are a deeply mission-driven business. And I, if Grove is successful in any extent, it's because of the people. We are so fortunate to have an incredible, incredible community of people as employees, as partners, as customers. I mean, it really is the people that make anything possible. And- if you build a conscientious company, mm. we have found it is likely that you will attract conscientious customers, conscientious employees, conscientious partners, people who are bought into the same belief system. And so certifying that our conscientious values, sort of, we, we practice what we preach there. Yeah, that gives alignment with your customer base. What if I was a SaaS business? What if I'm Slack? What if I'm, uh, I don't know, Facebook? Do you see those, the next Slack and next Facebook being B corporations, benefit corporations? I would love the current Slack and Facebook to be B corps. I think that- What would they look like then? I don't think- Because they're not selling some natural product and they don't have that noble mission. So how would that manifest itself, do you think? So any good company will have a noble mission. I think you ask someone at Facebook their mission of connect the world or whatever it is, they they will believe that that is noble. I think that it's- it cannot be said often enough that business needs to be a force for positive change in the world today. Yeah. And wherever you sit on the political spectrum, 
there is opportunity to improve the world and business can lead. It doesn't have to wait until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think by stamping ourselves a B Corp, it's really clear to everyone that the goal here is bigger than just making money. All right. So let's put this in practice here. Who on a technical basis certifies you're a B corporation? There's is no... that a government thing or do you do it self-certify? Because we know what an S corp, a C corp, and an LLC are. We know those corporate f formulations. Yeah. Is this instead of that? No. So Grove is a Delaware C Corp. Got it. But we are also a certified B Corp. We've been certified by a body called B Labs. Okay. Yeah. We go that was part of the Clinton Foundation, right? There was somehow associated with that B Labs. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, it was actually started by one of the And One founders. Uh, really? I know. I always find that interesting to be a fun twist. Yeah. Uh, so but B Labs is certifying this. Exactly. It's a private company, a nonprofit, or a B Corp? I believe a nonprofit. Nonprofit certifies B Corps. Yes. So you fill out a form and tell them this is who we are and what we stand for, and then they go check? It's more than just a form. It's very rigorous. It's mm -hmm. You can go to, I forget what the site is, blabs.org or yeah. whatever it is, and fill out the assessment. Any company can do it. Ah. And if you score high enough, you can apply to be a certified B Corp, at which point they will audit your answers. And if you are fortunate enough to be one of the 10% they give this sort of true deep dive to, mm. you get to really dig in with them. And I know this because we've been in that 10%. Really? Oh, and yeah. so what what would they, what did they do in your case? How did they do that deep dive? And then you could put the B Labs logo, the B Corporation logo on your side or something, like a good housekeeping seal of approval? Yeah, you can use it wherever, yeah. wherever you see fit. Um, the deep dive is great because it makes you walk through, I mean, in our case, made us walk through and revisit deliberately a lot of practices that can be created mm -hmm. by accident. Everything from how do we think about benefits to are we making sure that equity across the organization is done in a oh, way really? that's fair. They get into your cap table? And Absolutely. Look, and do they give you a best practice on your cap table? Like you're the CEO, you can only have 100x the lowest one of person? The, one of the things is what's the ratio of highest paid employee to lowest? or C, I can't remember if it's highest paid to lowest or CEO to lowest paid employee. Yeah. And what should that be? 10,000 to one? <laughs> yeah, I'm I think ten thousand one is a little bit on the high side. I think right, okay. nine thousand sounds fine. At Grove, it's probably like seven or eight to one. Really? Yeah, well, that sounds fair. Um, and I think there's a broad range. There are companies that are better than we are from an equity perspective, mm -hmm. and there are certainly companies where the CEO makes ten thousand times the average earner. Praise Jesus! I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, <laughs> So what about equity? How do they look at that? Do they give you a roadmap to that? Like everybody should have equity or do, or they just give you suggestions or is there like you have to hit this to be level one, two, and three? And you get points for having uh, a more spread distribution. Uh, and so in the case of our company, there are lots and lots of I mean, the vast majority of our employee base are shareholders. Right. And so that was some, a place where we earned favorable marks. Is the board of directors in your company then answering to the shareholders, like a Delaware Corp, or are they answering to B-Labs or that certification? And then how is you as the CEO and a board member, how do you manage that? Because, you know, Delaware law has been very clear. You are, as a director, to act in the best interest of the shareholders, not the customers, employees, partners, et cetera. Shareholders first has always been why Delaware is where people do this uh, incorporation. If not shareholders first, if the share, if there was in the best interest of the community to lower prices and be less profitable, and that's against the uh, best interest of the shareholders in this instance, what do you do? Who do you pick? So th this is the premise that I, I fundamentally take issue with, which is yeah. that this is, this is all zero sum. And that for the environment to win, shareholders have to lose. Mm. You know, it's my job to create equity value over a very long time horizon. And my investors are aligned with that. And if we want to build an enduring company, look, the category that we're in is one that will take, it'll take us 20 years to get bigger than Procter & Gamble. Yeah. Right? I mean, those companies have been built over hundreds of years. And God willing, this one will be too. And over that time horizon, you talked about it, consumers demand that companies be ethical participants in all of the ecosystems. And so I believe deeply that in order to, to maximize value creation over the intermediate and long time horizon, 
we have to think about all of the other stakeholder groups. And I, I think that if you look out at many of the progressive new companies, particularly consumer-facing new progressive companies, a lot of them really do have strong missions behind the product. And so you think these things are in sync. They're not mutually exclusive. hundred percent. And it's not going to come up at some point that the shareholders, um, at least in your instance, because all the shareholders bought into this when they came in. Sure. Not everyone has to be a shareholder, but we're quite transparent that this is a mission-driven organization. And for mm-hmm. us, positive impact and financial performance are going to be correlated. All right. When we get back from this quick break, I need to know the answer to the question you got from all these VCs, all these investors, and how you answered the question, what about Amazon? What about Amazon? Right? And what I want to know from you, because I understand, I've been through this before, I understand why direct-to-consumer products and why niche products and verticals can beat Amazon. It's so obvious to me, but I'll have you answer it anyway for the audience. More so, what I want to know from you when we get back from this break, is in your mind, do you consider Amazon, which is not a B corporation, which is a marauding capitalist organization, do you consider them an ethical organization? And how do you compete against them in the face of long hours, low wages, and all the complaints that people have made about warehouse workers at Amazon when we get back on this week's show? Hey, everybody. I'm here with my friend Jason Maynard, who works at NetSuite. Tell everybody, what do you do, Jason? You know, I do I do many things here at NetSuite, but I run the field operations for the business unit. And field operations means what? In Sales, context? marketing, business development, all the stuff in terms of how we acquire customers, take care of them, service them, make sure they're happy. If I'm using a uh, bunch of different products, accounting, CRM, customer support, sales... What would NetSuite do in terms of uh, integrating with those other platforms or replacing them? How should I look at it when I'm – because a lot of people just – they pick whatever they used at their last company. They duct tape everything together. And NetSuite to me seems like sort of a more holistic approach. So how should people look at that issue? Yeah, so we sell a suite. That's the name, NetSuite, yeah. right? So it's not NetPoint product. Right. It's NetSuite. Um, but what we typically do is we start people in financials, right? right? We start with basic financials, inventory, order management. The, that, that tends to be the first pain point that we need to remediate. And then over time, they look at buying other products from us, whether it's e-commerce or HR or customer management, things like that. But most companies start with financials. And what is it that founders need to know about their finances in order to scale properly? Hopefully, founders and executives don't have to spend any time worrying about it. Yeah. Right. Our, our goal in a lot of cases, if you're a product founder, you just need your systems to work, mm-hmm. right? You need to make sure that you have the, the access to the information you need. And so I would say some of our our most successful CEOs and founders don't spend a lot of time worrying about finance and accounting. And that's that's really our goal, right? We want to make it easy, take that burden off of them. All right, right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, the seven key strategies to grow your profits. So go to netsuite.com slash twist, netsuite.com slash twist, and get that free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. We appreciate the work you're doing in the startup community. It's great Thanks, stuff. Thanks, pal. Thanks. All right, we'll be back with more. All right, Stu's here from Grove Collaborative. Go to Grove, G-R-O-V-E dot C-O. Leave off the M because you're going to save so much money. Uh, no, you're not going to save money, but you're going to do good in the environment. It's a You'll fair do price. Both. You'll, You'll do, do both. both. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we left our hero, he had a raise. You've raised, uh, what did you raise, $76 million in the last round? You raised a? over $200 million in total. Wow. So obviously, there's an appetite from investors for this. They asked you the Amazon question, and I asked you two Amazon questions. One, how do you answer to investors and convince them to give you that $200 million that you can compete heads up against the marauding Amazon? And of course, the second question, m- many people consider them not to be um, great stewards or champions of the working uh, low-level employee, let's say, factory worker. How do you look at it? And how do you Who is Amazon? It? Just to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bezos' company. Oh, right. Yes, Get anything got you it. want today, um, right now. So in practice today, over half of the product we sell is not available on Amazon. So I'll start with that the customer today 
is getting a really different experience in the products that she's buying from Grove than, than at Amazon. That's a really simple way to answer the question. Because those brands do not want to commodify themselves in that channel. Well, about half they the business to. is brands that we own, and those okay. are not available at Amazon. For sure. Some brands don't want to sell at Amazon for alignment reasons, business practice reasons, whatever those reasons What's are. That, why, do, why do people not choose to sell on Amazon typically? What's the number one reason? I'm curious. Not an area of expertise for me, but yeah. I think that one of the reasons people are so happy to partner with us is that we really tell brand story well. Mm. And when we bring a consumer into a brand, yes, we make it approachable from a price point perspective, but we also explain why this concentrated laundry detergent is good for you, mm. why you should give a non-antibacterial hand soap a try, mm. and I mean, you'll probably actually like it more than whatever you're using. And so we build emotional connection in a way that I think makes brands excited to partner yeah. with us. Yeah, it's got to be a difficult decision for brands because Amazon is so easy and fluid, but I also think they grind people down. So I think that's the other reason is that they're grinding the people they're buying stuff down so hard and then copying their products. That's the other thing that people don't like is that they lose their relationship with the customer too. Um, okay, keep going. So I, I think fundamentally though, the way that any of these direct-to-consumer brands or the way that you compete with a marketplace like Amazon, the way that you compete with anyone is to win on something. And for us, I think that we win on trust and we win on emotion. And the home is such a magical and important place. And for many of our consumers, they identify in a way that's really incredible with being a homemaker. I have two young children and I can tell you that like, we as a family eat off the counter probably as often as we eat off a plate. Yeah. And so what I washed that counter with yesterday, you know, is going inside of my eight month old. And yeah. so I care. Yeah. Right. And I think that we have invested a lot in being really trustworthy for that consumer. And so I think that emotional connection has made it really easy for people to change from whatever product they were using their whole life to a natural product, and once they do, to feel comfortable staying with Grove for a long period of time. And then we have this really virtuous cycle where, because we have direct relationships with our consumers, we can understand what they like. And so when we launch innovation like the concentrated laundry detergent, that's not based on hypothesis. That's based on millions of data points from our community. And we launched that laundry vessel. We had 75,000 people on the wait list for it before we launched for a $16 glass laundry vessel, right? That's you know, the first, as far as I know, you know, reusable glass vessel that's ever existed in the laundry category. I love a good vessel. I, I think that that's such a winning concept, the reusable vessels kind yeah. of thing. So then what do you ship me my detergent in? A plastic bottle? Uh, we ship it in a flexible pouch, which oh. is the lowest amount of plastic possible. And you can ship it back to us to recycle. It is recyclable in some use. So you cut the edge of the pouch and you fill up the thing? Uh, it's got a spout, but yes. Oh, spout. Okay, yeah. got it. How damaging are those, like, um, you know those squeeze boxes that all the kids are using now that they put, like, the peas in and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are those really bad for the environment? They seem to be. Yeah. I'm impressed with with your, like, understanding of the different materials and how they impact yeah. the recycling chain. Because yeah. I think... Plastic is recyclable sort of these days, yeah. right? Different kinds of plastic are different amounts recyclable and particularly multi-layered packaging materials are really challenging to recycle because you have to separate the different substrates. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because it's foil plus plastic. Exactly. And so that stuff is not being recycled. Probably not. Which so is, is recycling a farce? Like people just no. collect all this stuff and then they don't actually separate it or I, they don't reuse it? I'm going to sound like your kindergarten teacher. Yeah. It's reduce, reuse, recycle in that order. Right? Reduce is number one. Reduce is number one. Yeah, that's why right? I buy bulk everything now if I can. Bulk coffee, everything's bulk. Less packaging. Concentration is even better, right? If yeah. you think our glass cleaner is one ounce, right? The average one you buy in the store is probably 24 ounces. So, huh. you know, you've just taken 95% of the packaging away. So, wait, your one ounce Windex, is that what we're talking about? Glass cleaner? Glass Windex? cleaner, yeah. That. Do I dilute it then with water? Yeah. you oh. have, We sell a glass bottle that you can use forever, oh. and you 
like sort of squeeze the one ounce into it and then you add your own water. I, see, I love that too because then the environmental footprint of shipping it yep. is reduced. Yep. And even more important, and this is selfish, you you recapture shelf space. Yep. I got a whole broom closet full of stuff. Yeah. And if I could lower the get reclaim half that space, that's amazing benefit for people, especially living in cities. Exactly. And I'll tell you emotionally, when you do that, when you sort of like mix that concentrate, hmm. I'll speak for myself, I feel great about myself, right? Yeah. Every time because I've made a it's so easy to make a good decision for your family and the planet. Yeah. And that product is you know 30% lower cost than the market leader. Because we're shipping so little, right? It allows us to ship a small, to charge the consumer less. Yeah. Better product, lighter environmental footprint, lower cost. What else do you do this like miniaturization uh, to lower consumption concept with? So we do it across a number of formats. Some are obvious, glass cleaner, all-purpose cleaner, bathroom, floor, tub and tile, laundry. Then there are a couple of other interesting areas. For example, we launched a brand of paper called Seedling. And seedling is tree-free, so it's made of bamboo and upcycled sugarcane, which are both grasses, not trees. They grow yeah. about 30 times as fast. Yeah, you don't have to cut down a forest. Exactly. Yeah. So they grow 30 times as fast and sequester about five times as much carbon. Wow. So material environmental benefit, and we use the proceeds of that to plant trees in the U.S. Planted over 100,000 trees in the U.S. so far this year through our seedling So it's program. not enough that you're using the right type of wood that's 30 times as efficient. You got to go and take the profits from that and plant more trees. Exactly. So we're not uh, using wood, a, right? We're using a do-gooder stew. We're using grasses. It. So yeah. I mean, this is the thing, right? The, well, I want to talk about this and then yeah. I'll connect yeah. the point you just made. Um, but a lot of paper, you know, when you go into the store, you're just looking at whatever, a 12-pack, and you try to see how big is this? Yeah. Online, like we can prevent you from being irrational like that. Really what matters is sheet count. So we wrapped all of the rolls more tightly, ah. saved space. We ship in more tissue in an eight pack huh. than the leader does in a 12 pack. And we can offer 30% more product for 40% less cost. So it's just and t- it's, tighter wound. It's just tighter wound. So it takes up less space on trucks. Takes up less space on trucks, takes up uh. less space in your closet. And you know you can imagine a product like bath tissue because the cube is so big that the physical space it takes up is so big, so much of the cost is in the logistics of shipping it around. There's real cost savings for us, too. And why we pass that on the, to the consumer. Why are the classic CPGs not doing this? Why are they not thinking about the environment at all? Or are they starting to do a little green? Why do they call that greenwashing when they do this fake nonsense? I think it's really hard for any industry that has built a giant profit pool through one way of doing business to try to turn the whole thing on its head. I mean, that's the traditional sort of innovative dilemma. dilemma. Exactly. For sure. Yeah, it's hard for them to stop doing it. But it does seem like since the consumer is going this direction, that they should meet the consumer where they're going. So this ties so well to the concept of being a B Corp, right? We have the obligation uh, to think long term. Right. In a way that's, quarterly. that's so powerful for the way we can drive innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, I can launch, we as Grove can develop product that may have relatively low adoption today. Mm-hmm. But if I believe that all of these categories are going to be zero waste in 20 years, I want to get started on that right now. What's the worst? What's the worst offender of <laughs> The worst everything? is paper. Paper is the worst. Toilet paper, paper towels, All of your napkins. household paper. I use, uh, you know, like uh, towels and, um, you know, like what would you call like a cloth napkin for dinner? And, you know, like you would use at a dinner party or a fancy yeah. restaurant. Is that better for the environment than paper? A cloth napkin? Yeah. yeah. Materially better. Reduce. But I still have to wash that. So is the energy from washing? Because that's the thing they kind of trip not, you up it's on. Not even, I, it's really hard as a consumer. That's the one I understand because they always tell me like, oh, yeah, but you have to wash it. Yeah, there's there's a marketing spin for everything. Yeah. But not to sound like your kindergarten teacher, reduce is the number one. Yeah. Right? And so if you reduce the amount of waste that you create, mm. that's a great guiding light. Yeah. And – you know, paper is the number two polluting industry, I think, in the planet. I mean, it's incredible how terrible it is. And I think U.S. U.S. paper consumption, it, household paper consumption, is responsible for something taking down something like ninety-four thousand trees a day. Ugh. Yeah, it's gross. It's, 
It's amazing. It sucks. I mean, I, I'm really like, I don't know if it's because I had kids or I, my friend Gigi is like, pushes me so hard on the issue. She's an environmentalist. And uh, we stopped having plastic bottles at our events. Thank you. Made everybody crazy. I, you know, I did it not because I wanted to necessarily. It wasn't on my mind. But I had a friend who was like, literally would give me a half hour lecture about it. And so finally I was like, we got to stop doing this. So we stopped doing it. And we gave glass bottles to everybody for a dollar which is what we pay for them, like those reusable glass ones. Yeah. Um, and then there's a company that rents you a water filter place, and it's cost 500 bucks. Then I looked at the numbers. I was like, wait, we're spending 2000 on a pallet of water bottles, and now we're down to $500. And then when we sell the – actually, we're selling the water bottles for like $2, which might have been like a dollar more. It pays for the rental of the water filter system. So now we're neutral in terms of our cost. We actually save $2,000 while removing 4,000 bottles of water. Think yeah. about that. Thank you. Like, yeah. I hope everybody who's listening does that for their events. It's it is amazing the opportunities to build business models that are better for the consumer, better for the environment, and economically. None feasible. of this plastic should be used. Single use plastic should be banned, right? Like Starbucks using straws, plastic cups with frappuccinos. This got to be banned, right? I would look. I think government is the fastest way to drive mass adoption. They got to ban the straws. Like we ban the plastic bags here in San Francisco. Government is the fastest way to drive mass adoption. And you're the second fastest. But business business can act independently and can act quickly. And I think I, I do. So the company's vision is that consumer products will be a positive force for human and environmental health, hmm. right? Not just less bad, but actually more good. Which is why you're planting the trees. Exactly, yeah. right? Which is to say, you know, Maybe we keep the straws, but for every straw that you buy, we're going to charge you a quarter, and we're going to use that quarter to take plastic out of the ocean. See, I'm into incentives. Now you're talking my language because I believe that capitalism and incentive structures are the quickest way, with the exception of sometimes the government does get it right. Like if you look at when we increased the standards for um, uh, automobiles in terms of mileage, and, and I guess we're reversing all those now, sadly, <laughs> under Trump, but we were actually trending in the right direction. And it does seem to me that getting rid of the straws would help. But I can tell you, if everybody went into Starbucks tomorrow and complained and whined about the goddamn plastic straws, that would make an impact. And they're starting to ban, and like I think New Delhi banned a lot of single-use plastics. London is banning straws. Everybody's going to ban straws and just use paper straws. Why not? The paper straws work fine. Yeah, I mean, the straws are a it's a it is a good thing that people are aware. I mean, talk about you know, uh, like a trillion of them or something insane. Yeah, but it's also you know a grain of sand on the beach, right? There are, and I'm glad for the awareness. I do feel, I mean, I think one of the reasons why Grove has a an emotional connection to the consumer is. If you go through your day and think about how challenging it is to avoid single use everywhere, mm. it's almost impossible to live in society and not participate in our con single use consumerism obsession. Yeah. But I believe that Grove makes it a lot easier to make good decisions in one part of your life. And yeah. it's a part that's really central, right? Your home. And so I think. I do think that the small steps, like the emotional reaction you just had to straws, if you were someone who did the dishes three times a day yeah. or did you know five loads of laundry a day, like many great parents out there, yeah. not you might. No, um, it's, it's fine. I'm not have a great parent. You're right. Reaction. I don't, no, I don't do the laundry anymore. I have people for that. But I used to do the laundry. And I did, I mean, just carrying the goddamn thing, is that, that's the most annoying part. You, I mean, 900 it, million plastic laundry bottles this year in the U.S. will end up in landfills in the ocean. It's totally... What would you... Re if we all did the little piece, what would the reduce, reduction be? That'd be like doing... It'd be 90% reduction. It'd be like going down to 90 million or even less. Well, I mean, if you're comparing to the traditional Tide bottle, it'd be yeah. even less. Yeah. So you'd be, yeah. we could reduce 95% of the plastic. Probably about that. What is there a country that forces people to do this kind of stuff yet? Is like the Scandinavian <laughs> countries gotten to this? Because I know in the Scandinavian countries in Germany, I believe, any additional packaging, the grocery store has to take. So what people do when they're leaving the grocery store is they take their toothpaste out of the packet and they hand them the paper and they just put it in there. And it's it's a grocery store's responsibility to take that now. So you can then leave that behind and not have it take up your garbage because they get charged for garbage, I guess. And then now that makes the uh, grocery stores have to deal with it. 
It's amazing, right? Alignment of incentive can change consumer behavior so clearly, but it does take a whole ecosystem. The reason the company's named Grove Collaborative is because a grove, by definition, is not one tree, right? It It can only be true if it's a group. And it's collaborative because this is not an issue that any one entity can solve, right? We need consumers. We need partners. God willing, we'll have government someday too, right? We need everyone to work together because- the environmental crisis that is is happening today, yeah. you know, we may not feel ourselves, but our children yeah. will feel it acutely. Uh, yeah, for sure. All right, when we get back, we didn't cover the, um, the factory workers. I want to know how you treat your factory workers compared to Amazon. When we get back, I'm just going to say this. Oh my God, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. I love this product. We use it. We got so many great team members using LinkedIn Talent Solutions. There's over 600 million members at LinkedIn. And why do they go there? Well, why do you go there? Why do I go there? The great feed news to make connections, to meet people, to uh, share information, maybe to update your resume, huh? your profile page. Well, hiring is so easy that a new hire is made every eight seconds on LinkedIn. Think about that. And they will get your job in front of the right people at the right time, whether you need hard or soft skills. Maybe you need somebody who's a great negotiator. Maybe you need somebody who's a great coder. You're going to find all those people. And here is my CMO, Presh, creating a job posting for our new client success manager. And that's a position in our Toronto office. And he sets a daily budget and he sends the ad to find the right candidate. He also puts in some skills needed, writes a description, and adds additional screening questions. And those screening questions are so important. When you write an open-ended question like that, you can really tell who's really a great hire and who is indifferent. You want the person who's going to write two paragraphs in one of those open-ended questions. And you can do this all within minutes by going to linkedin.com slash unicorn and you will get $50 off your first job post because you're building a unicorn. And to build a unicorn, you're going to need great team members. You're only as good as your weakest team member. And you need to have great team members. And the way you're going to do that is linkedin.com slash unicorn. linkedin.com slash unicorn. Get that $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply because it's such a generous offer. Thanks again to LinkedIn for making a great service that just helps the entire community and for these generous offers from my community here at the Sweet Stripes. I really appreciate it. Okay, back to the episode. All right, Grove uh, used to be called ePantry if you uh, you changed the name of it. We did. Were you, when you was ePantry, were you doing like all products and then you just decided to like go down this rabbit hole of uh, do-gooder and you, you narrowed the focus of uh, the products? No, we've always been focused on sustainability, but I'll be, I'll be totally honest. When I started the company in 2012, I really had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I was... Like many founders, yeah, exactly. Welcome to the club. Yeah, and get jumped in, dropped. You get dropped into the ocean, and now learn how to swim. Exactly, and and many folks figure out how to swim more quickly than I did. <laughs> uh, it took us a bit over four years to raise our Series A. Oh boy! You know, I remember acutely in the summer of 2016 talking to my wife about how we had two hundred thousand dollars in cash in the business. And you know, corporate cards are personal recourse at that stage. Yeah. And you know, there was four hundred thousand dollars on this personal recourse credit Ooh card. Oh boy. Start sweating. I really hope this next round of funding comes in. Yeah. And it did, thankfully. And yeah. you know, the rest is history. But uh, you know, over those first four years, because we were so small and because we weren't, it was really a gift not to have to scale. Because we spent so much time with our consumer. Mm. And I hypothesized when I started the company that the core market would be busy urban folks who want to make good decisions, but who's got the time to think about what dish yeah, to Yeah, yuppies. And what I found was that actually our best customers wanted to come back to the site. They didn't want to sort of strictly set it and forget it. That people were wildly yeah. engaged in the category. Fascinating. And what I had initially hoped to build was sort of a ruthlessly efficient replenishment engine actually was something much more powerful because of the emotional connection Mm -hmm. to the consumer. And so we repositioned and pivoted the company in 2016, changed the name, began the focus on our owned brand innovation, and really invested in a number of things that allow us to go deep with the consumer from a trust level, uh, and that's that's paid off. 
Yeah, see, this is what's really interesting about these D to C brands, direct to consumer brands. I think that they're the future. And I think it's the existential um, threat to Amazon if there is one. I think Amazon's going to do fine, obviously. But when you are direct to consumer and you are selling directly to them and they, when they have a problem, are calling you, not Amazon, not Target or whatever, you get to hear why they don't like it. You get the return information. And then you can craft and iterate in the lean startup style, except with real products, a better next version. So at some point you realize this laundry detergent that if you had a glass vessel that was really good looking, that was better than just the replenishing business. Yeah. So first of all, I read the lean startup back when we were first starting. That book was super influential in the yeah. approach that we took. And the first year that the company existed, we didn't actually have a website. I went to Starbucks with a PowerPoint and like built the backend logic in Excel and paid people five, gave people a $5 gift card to click through this prototype. Huh. And then at the end, if they wanted, I would like, you know, put their credit card through a Stripe reader, a wow. Square reader or something. And really, you them. did that? Yeah, we had like 200 customers before we had a website. I love it. And no website. We had so much customer feedback. What's the, when you make a new product now, do you have a playbook for that? So now we have such a wealth of data, and we're so fortunate to have a wonderful community of customers who are excited to give us feedback. How do they do that? Just email, or do you have a Facebook group or something? We have a number. We have a Facebook group. We have a community of thousands of influencers who are oftentimes very ahead of the curve and representative uh, of what their specific audiences. Influencers like Instagram influencers, YouTube influencers. Yeah, folks who you know for a living share their lifestyle and mm. the things they're doing. and Are they a good acquisition? You got like a multi-level kind of thing with them where they acquire customers and you give them uh, affiliate revenue? Is that still a thing in the business? Affiliates? It's not really a multi-level thing. Affiliate revenue, I guess. Yeah, sure. We have, we have relationships where folks talk about, I mean, just like any referral program, yep. right? You refer your friend, you get 10 bucks. Um, right. That's which, gift to get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we have similar programs to that for consumers. You can give your friends a welcome gift set, get $10 of credit. We have something similar for people who would have, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of growth credit. We start paying them cash at a certain point. Um, oh, so those people who are like big influencers, if they start bringing in a lot of customers, you're like, let's just give you cash because you're not going to use thirty thousand. So the way it started amazingly. So we had we had no money these first four years, but we had all these influencers who were really interested in what we were doing, huh. and they would reach out to us and say, "Hey, can you put together this like custom offer for us to? Because huh. we think our audience will like it." And we're like, sure, you'll take the $10 credit. We can give you a special referral code. Yeah. And that worked. And then those folks gave us incredible data on what their audience wanted to buy. Got it. Because they're, they were so aligned with us. And we didn't have the money to put into the kind of high-quality performance marketing that scale organizations have. So we really hmm. like met a lot of these people personally. I mean, these are like some of these people are still my friends, right? Yeah. Um, the mommy blogger contingent, as they're called, is like a very powerful group of people, the mommy bloggers. Yeah. I think people who create compelling content yeah. and can do so authentically are more important in brand discovery now than anything else. And we had four years where really that was our only way to go to market. Hmm. So we didn't have the money to spend on Facebook or Google or any of that stuff. All right. Let's talk about those factory workers. Okay. A lot of complaints from about Amazon factory workers. A lot of investigations. Uh, I think they went up to fifteen dollars an hour or something. Um, but they took away their stock options when they did that. It was my understanding. How do you treat factory workers? What do you think of Amazon's treatment of them? And certainly, it must be something you're acutely aware of because you need to have a lot of them, right? Yeah. So we don't actually have any factories for the half of our business that are the brands that we develop and make ourselves. We work with manufacturing partners. And in all of those well, cases- Well, fulfillment is what I'm saying. We're okay. fulfillment, yeah. Sorry. So yeah. to finish that point, we yeah. do audit and send folks to every manufacturing facility in every company that ever makes a- Excuse me, in every country that ever makes That's a That's the co-packers, where they product. call them? Co-packers? Sure. Co-packers, manufacturing partners, whatever yeah. you want to call them. So the people who make your soap, you make sure they're treating people well. Exactly. And many of these folks we know personally- hmm. You know, I think of one small business in Oregon that was grew from I think five people to thirty through their partnership with Grove, and we're their biggest customer. And they could not be more true to the mission of creating a the best quality, healthiest soap that you can get. I mean, it's an amazing group of people. Um, 
But I think when it comes to fulfillment center workers, which is I think what you're asking, yeah, about, the yeah. people who are doing this backbreaking work of like, Am- and Amazon gets criticized because they're so inefficiency obsessed, but they have to pack certain yeah. number of bags, they have to break their backs, and who knows what the ground truth is there? I mean, I suppose people wouldn't go to work every day if it was that bad, since they have so many options. But there, yeah. there has been enough, I guess, people saying there this isn't a great situation. That it's probably not. So I mean, you nailed it, right? Like yeah. inequality across society. Yeah is a systemic problem. And I think one of the challenges in hiring an hourly workforce into fulfillment centers is how do you make sure that you treat people who probably don't have the same level of education as you and me, probably haven't had the same opportunities as we have in our lives, how do we treat them like people Yeah, and make sure that they have the right kind of health insurance, the right opportunity for advancement? And so, Basic dignity. Yeah. Basic dignity. And so, yes, I mean, we pay a living wage, pay above living wage in every geography and, but, and minimum wage and living wage and $15 an hour, all that stuff is very important. But I think you nailed it when you're like, they raised it to $15, but they took away some other... It's it's not as simple as one number. It mm. comes down to the work environment, the benefits, the opportunity for advancement, the overall humanity you know, with yeah. which you treat people who are really an incredible part of the team. Yeah. So and do you beat Amazon in terms of payments and stuff like that? You pay better than them, have better benefits packages than them? I can't speak sort of geography yeah. to geography, yeah. Got it. but in general, yes. I mean, yeah. I think our benefits, benefits is something it's, I mean, people are the most important thing for me. Do you have so, different benefits for the factory workers than the executive type people? Like the office workers, the white collar versus blue collar, let's say, would be the traditional? Yeah. So Grove has six offices across the country. Yeah. And we try to provide benefits in geographies that match the needs of that consumer base, of that base. And yeah. so- the folks in the fulfillment center have a variety of options for benefits packages, yeah. and some of them choose a lower cost uh, healthcare plan yeah. in order to take home more dollars. Got it. And you know, I wouldn't describe myself as a libertarian, but I do, you know, respect folks' desire to say, "Hey, I want a less rich benefits package." than a software engineer in San Francisco because my life is different. Yeah. Right? Like I That's want That's the thing about people with hourly employees. Like the hourly the 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 minimum wage. It's great that we have a federal one, but I mean the federal minimum wage is it's ten, right? It's lower. I think it's seven fifty. Seven fifty. That's so much to fact check back. But I believe yeah. it's seven fifty and but regardless, it's embarrassing. San, yeah. Seven fifty in San Francisco is a joke. Seven fifty <laughs> in I don't know, some town in Texas might be you know, still probably a joke. Still a joke, but it's got to be at least fifty percent. Goes fifty percent further than here, or double in terms of rent or something like that. Probably right? more than double. Yeah, I mean, sure. the living wage varies across the country, and I think yeah. the living wage is. It, there are a lot of businesses that pay below living wage, which is it doesn't make unconscionable. Sense. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, I, it is interesting. Is it unconscionable? I guess is the question is, should there be some level of entry-level work that the one argument I've heard from people is there needs to be entry-level work that people could graduate from but don't need any skills to do. In other words, you, you literally have nothing going for you. You, you can't speak the language. Uh, you can't speak English in America. There's got to be some safety net of a job that just requires just showing up. No education. Look, I think rational economics, right? Yeah. Neoclassical economics, if I can go academic yeah. on you for a second, right, would imply that the best thing for the economy would be that you could perfectly value every individual's productivity. Mm. And every individual would be perfectly valued for their productivity. But that's not reality, number no. one. Number two, we're talking about people, right? Not like there is a real human element to it. And so even if perhaps the economy would be slightly more efficient in one or two ways if paying a living wage wasn't required or because paying a living wage isn't required. Mm. I think the overall benefit to society as a whole of paying folks a living wage and giving them, to your point, benefits that allow them to you know, live a happy, healthy, comfortable life, mm. the overall benefit to society of investing in 
all of our citizens is is far greater than just some increased efficiency because profits would be higher if we could pay less to certain employees. Yeah. You know, the thing that's super interesting, too, is you have people who are working for minimum wage and then on food stamps or other assistance. So we're winding up paying anyway. So that means the corporations are de facto getting a discount, right? So if you're working full time and still getting food stamps because you're getting paid so little, that means if the company paid you more, you wouldn't need to get food stamps and the government, i.e. the rest of us, wouldn't have to pay for that. The company should pay for that. The company's being subsidized by the government's, you know, food program or whatever. We should pay people enough that they can buy the food buy food. So why are we a B Corp, right? Yeah. Th- this ties directly to why build it doesn't have to be a B Corp, right? But right. why build a mission driven business? Mm. The best people in the world don't want to work at a company where people are making less than than living wage. Right. And what is the living wage now? It, it varies city to city based on home prices and what could I expect? What do you what do you think? Like in San Francisco, it's probably super high. I mean, I think it varies across. Twenty three an hour in San Francisco is the living wage. I just, I just got a a, a a Slack message with that from my producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Apple pays sixteen dollars an hour in their stores, and Apple's massively profitable. Seems like Apple's not paying a living wage. Then maybe in San Francisco they pay more. I wonder. I can't speak to what Apple yeah. pays. No, I, I, just, just... I just did a search. Apple. Looks like Apple pays sixteen, according to just a basic website. That's interesting. Hmm. So if we're if living wage twenty three in San Francisco, that doesn't even make sense to me. How could that be a living wage in San Francisco? I guess it is twenty three, fifty hours a week, fifty thousand a year. Yeah, I guess that would be the baseline of living in San Francisco. And it goes up for you know if you have if hmm. you're one wage earner, two wage earners, one child, two child. There's a bunch of variants to yeah. the living wage. Hey, um. Now you've uh, raised this two hundred million. You're on the way, I guess, to going public. How do you think about that? I think about building the best company. Yeah. I really believe the category where we're in. You know, P and G has something like nineteen brands that do a billion dollars a year in revenue. I mean, we are a speck of dust relative to the industry today, and this is a category where, I mean, you said it right. It feels like manifest destiny mm-hmm. that natural and more sustainable products will be where the consumer wants to go. But it'll take time to get there, right? The category is only about 5% online today. And so we have a 20 to 100 year journey as we take a category that has historically prioritized profit over human and environmental health and hopefully flip it on its head and are able to create business models where we can take our success and invested into the environments that have been destroyed by the industry over time. Mm. And so, you know, when I think about how do you build a company that's around for a hundred years, that is one that, you know, you could go public, but you could also Well, the VCs who are investing this large amount of money are going to be looking for a return sometime soon, like in the next five years. Because you're you're into you're like almost whatever, six, seven years into this journey. Yeah. I think that it's really important when, whenever any company brings on a partner that there's an open dialogue around time horizon. What is their time horizon when these late stage investors come in for these big numbers? We are really fortunate to have great partners who are not pressuring us from a time horizon perspective. Oh. See, that's the, the public thinks that you're under pressure to go public as quick as possible and to grow unnaturally. But you're saying- Silicon Valley investors gave you hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're patient. I can't speak to what other people's experiences have no, been. No, yours, though. The, but I can your experience that, is that Silicon Valley investors that invest in your company are patient and want you to do this correctly. We have an amazing set of investors who are aligned with the company's mission mm-hmm. and believe, want to see this be a generational company yeah. and to be a company that survives and thrives and has a positive impact for 100 years. You have to think long term, mm. right? Would you put your kits on Amazon? I wonder, as like a customer acquisition process, like so, like the spray bottle and the vessel for the soap. These are great products. Like, I wonder if you had like a package of them where you could have a starter kit. You know, the Grove yeah. starter kit with like three of them, and then refills occurred. 
I wonder if they would even let you do that. Have you tried that or you thought about that? We have not yet. Got but it. we think about it. We just acquired a company called Sustain Natural, which is a sexual wellness and period care company, Got also it. a certified B Corp. And they have a direct consumer presence. Now, also a successful brand at Grove.co, uh, but also have a presence on Amazon. And you know, our mission, our vi- I mean, you heard the vision, right? It's yeah. not get everyone to buy product from Grove.co. Right. It's really to transform the category. Yeah. And I am not so naive as to think that that will happen by getting everyone to buy on one internet platform. Yeah. Right. We will have to have much greater reach and influence than that. Is Instagram a great channel for you? To acquire customers, I mean, you had influ- you have influencers, so that's yeah. great. But what about like buying ads? Is Instagram a great place to buy ads, or how do you get those new customers? So, trusted referral has always, since the very beginning, oh. been our number one source of the customer give to get, give ten bucks, get ten, give bucks. to get, organic. You know, someone tells their friend, they go to the website, yeah. and you know, somebody posts about it on Instagram. Through you know, we have financial partnerships with some of the influencers now, as you might imagine. And that's always been our number one source of customer acquisition. As we've scaled, we've had the need and I think the good fortune to build a well-diversified acquisition mix. And so, yes, paid social, Instagram, stories, Facebook, all that stuff. That stuff works. That stuff works. But so does Google, direct mail, radio, TV, Mm. podcasts. Podcasts are great, I hear. Yeah, and totally. they work <laughs> exactly. I, yeah, I was just thinking, like, have you tried the pop up stuff? Or is that like real world activation even worth it when you have the age of everybody staring into their phone anyway? I think it's an interesting. You haven't done it. We have not done it. Yeah, I just had a great idea for you. I was just thinking, like, back to your original idea about like stocking your pantry is a pain in the neck, which I agree with. I think your actual original premise was actually really good. Yeah, and then I was just thinking about these bottles being so efficient. If you could do, like this would be an incredible acquisition, buy a year, get a year, or buy six months, get six months. So you buy six months of the product and it gives you the next six months for free. I love that Of idea. the mini bottles. So we, we tried something like ad. this. Did it work or no? People are not that forward thinking? A lot. So our average customer, customers in a sentence, 29-year-old mother of two working as a substitute teacher in Lawrence, Kansas. Okay, they, they don't want to float. The they don't want to float, yeah. right? That's yeah, not that's super compelling to our average customer. And I, yeah. Adoption, like you use the word niche to describe us. I reject that term. Yeah. We think there's 50 plus million households in yeah, the US in our demographic yeah. and we want to be available and accessible to all of them. We want yeah. all of them to make better choices because of growth. All right. Uh, listen, we could talk for hours and we did. We talked for an hour. Um, really fascinating. I, I love what you're doing. I'm into it. I'm going to order my vessel. I'm going to get my vessel going. Uh, everybody go to Grove, G-R-O-V-E dot C-O and try it out. Now, you can't see on the website the products all that much. You got to sign in. You do. You got to sign in. You got to become, uh, you got to give your email to see all these great products. That's a good growth hack. Got to get through the uh, front door. People, we live in a distracted age and folks give us their email address up front. We find we get a little more attention from them then. Huh. And then, of course, we get to remind you yeah, yeah. if you left all that good stuff in the cart. So smart. So smart. I like that technique. All right. Uh, great job. Uh, continued success, too. And we'll, we'll see you uh, at the IPO. <laughs> it's a pleasure, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. Continue your success. We'll see you next time on the Space Service. Bye-bye. <laughs>